Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So maybe right now you are facing some big decisions in your life, or you think there are things that are facing you out ahead that's going to really change your life in a big way. I'm thinking of you people that are going off to college. I'm thinking some of you that are military personnel that might be changing direction. Some of you that are on the verge of retirement. Some of you that are going to make a big move maybe off island with business. Maybe it would be good for you to find a place where alone before you encounter that, that you have some quietness. You know, at Christmas time, it does not get busy at Christmas time. For us, it just gets busier. You know what I mean by that? So maybe even in our busy life now, there's a time for us to slow down just a little bit. Well, let's drop down to verse 14 now because this is where the story really starts picking up some steam here. Verse 13 says, The pastor of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, you might be asking, why would it say go up to Jerusalem when he was really going down south? Actually, Jerusalem was set up on a hill, and when you go up to Jerusalem, you're really going up in elevation. And Jerusalem, by the way, is about 2,500 feet high, and Capernaum was only in the 700s, so you really were going up even though you're going south. But here's the other part of verse 13. It says, the Passover of the Jews was near. Near doesn't mean it wasn't near in location, but it was near in time. So we know that this time of the year was March-April period of time, which timing here kind of helps me understand a little bit more about what's going on, especially when we find out when it was that the temple was built and then the time that it was to be destroyed. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit here. It won't be a long message, but I want to pack this full of information that you might not normally get in just a regular Bible. Verse 14, it says, And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and money changers, yada, yada, and all of that. I wanted you to see where it says, And he found in the temple. All right, some of you that are new to Christianity, you might know a little bit about the temple, but some that are way on the outside, you don't know anything about it. Well, we know that David himself loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and mind, and he wanted to build this special place, house of God, this temple for God, because he knew that the Lord really just visited a little tabernacle in the wilderness, and there was no big temple. Could be a little bit that David knew that other civilizations had their temples for their gods, and he wanted to build the big one for the real and only God. So he wanted to do that, but God said, nope, you can't build it. Wait a minute, I want to build it for you. Why don't you let me build it? You've done so much righteous things, but in that, there's a lot of blood that was spilled. And right now, you've got too much blood on you, figuratively speaking. And so I want to make sure that everybody knows this temple is a temple of peace and praise and prayer. And right now, you have had to have a lot of battles so that we could get to this point. So he said, here's what you can do. Your son is going to build a temple. Temple number one is Solomon's temple. And then the children of Israel, they lived their life in a way that they really got away from the Lord after Solomon built this humongous, beautiful temple. And I can only imagine what it looked like because no temple since then ever looked like that temple that he built. Read it in the historical books. When he finished building this, the Shekinah glory, God himself just kind of came inside this in a special glory experience there. And people couldn't even look at it. This was so special. This is a place of praise and prayer and worship, a place where God would meet them and they would meet God place where they would do their sacrifices and do the things that were necessary to bring them into intimacy with God, forgiveness of sin and looking forward to the time that all sin would be washed away with the blood of Christ. Well, the children of Israel, unfortunately, did not follow Scripture. They did not listen to the prophets, the right prophets. They did not follow the Word of God that they already had for them, the Pentateuch. And they walked away from the Lord many times, and God says, okay, for that reason, your enemies are going to come in. And when they did, they began to 
sometimes fast, sometimes slow, but always desecrate the temple. They kept looting and polluting the temple. So the temple was basically nothing until all the Jews then were taken into exile in a place we would call Babylon, the Babylonian captivity. By then that temple was really in bad state and it was that way for a long time and all of a sudden they decided to maybe try to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls starting and then the temple. And so now you have Zerubbabel's temple and that took a while to rebuild and it was just a shadow of the real thing. And that happened hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years ago. And then it fell in disarray as well until a guy by the name of Herod, oddly, Herod the Great, built the temple. And I'm not doing a study on the temple, so I can't tell you why he did it right now. I don't have time. But he then decided to rebuild the temple. Here's what is important. Remember the year approximately 19 or 20 B.C., before Christ. All right. Now, those aren't hard, hard dates, but they're hard enough for us to say it's safe of enough of a target. Just remember that. That temple now is the temple where Jesus is going to, the one that it took 46 years to build, about 27 A.D., 20 B.C. to about 27 A.D., which would kind of fit with, he's launching his ministry, we know it's kind of getting started, so the early part of this thing, he's now going into that temple. Now, with that in mind, what did he do when he got into that temple? It's kind of interesting here. He went into there and he saw them selling oxen and sheep and doves and then he had the money changers there. For those of you that aren't aware of what that means, it simply means this. That Passover was a very significant event. If I used our term Christmas celebration, it would be so um, far from what the Passover is. But for us in our, our little minds, that might be the closest thing as far as celebration and setting aside activities and doing something for a cause and a purpose. It has some bit of religious connotation. So that's about as close as I can make it for you. But that is, that's, that's, don't park on Christmas. Let's go back to Passover. What is Passover? Well, it is an event that occurred way back before the children of Israel ever got into the promised land. In fact, they're in Egypt. And let me just pause right here. If I could have one of our deacons kind of nail that door closed or open or something, we won't have that problem. Okay, let's go back over here now. Um, so what happened is that they're in Egypt now and the Lord is about ready to let them go. The final miracle of God is about to take place where the Lord says, all the firstborn babies and animals, all the firstborn are all going to die, including the Jews, by the way, unless the Jews then would take and put blood and put it around their doorpost. And then the Lord's death angel would come and look at that house that had that blood and then would pass over that house and not that child would die. Go to the next house. And of course, it happened very swiftly all in one night. And of course, so many, if not all of the Jews, did what they were told to do because they saw the other miracles. So this Passover began then. But of course, the Egyptians didn't do that and the death angel wiped them all out and that was the final release to let them go. That was called Passover. That was so significant that the Lord wanted to remind them, not so much of the little babies and all that were dying, what he really wanted them to know was this, that it was blood that was used because it's the blood and all that that entails, a whole description of it, that was going to happen in the future where Jesus was going to die on the cross and shed his blood, for without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So this was beginning to mark their memory with the, the realization of the significance of blood, a blood sacrifice, because if you didn't, the child would die, and the animals later on were for an atonement, not a complete forgiveness of sin yet, until they went to heaven. Now, coming back to this, that was the Passover. We fast forward this thing. We've already talked about how the Jesus' family went. It was part of the law that you would have to go to this Passover. Males would have to go through within 15 miles of it. When you would go for the Passover, obviously there were things that would go on. It was a celebration of, 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 a, of a great victory, but also... They were to bring with them animals to sacrifice. 
First of all, the animals had to be of the right type of animal. Don't have time to open that up. But not only the right type of animal, they had to be of such quality, no blemish on them because the Lord himself was perfect. So the animal has to be basically perfect, blemish-free. And so you would then bring them. But if you had to come from a great distance or even 15 miles away, who's going to bring a bleeding lamb with them? So it was okay. It was provided for that you could buy various animals and doves so that you could then have them. So the animals would be convenient for you, but they were also the kind of animals that were qualified and blemish-free that you could do this. The problem was two things in this context. One problem was, was the place that they were doing this. The best guess I can get is they were doing it in the temple area known as the place where the Gentiles would be. So maybe it was a little bit more uh, acceptable to some of the marginal Jewish people in their belief system. But in reality, though, it was still taking this place, the temple that was first designed for, like the tabernacle, a place for God. This was almost like the body of Christ right there, although they wouldn't use the word Christ. But I'm trying to give you that, that picture right there. It was a place, again, of praise and worship and purity and prayer, a wonderful place where we could look at God in all of his holiness. And what did they do? They brought animals from the, wrong pl- from the right place to the wrong place into this particular place. And I want you to think about it as if we brought animals in here, and this animal wasn't for just a small little purpose, but they were running loose in here, maybe in little cribs that are out here. Can you imagine the smell? And we're not talking about a little Christmas scene here. We're talking about hundreds of animals. When that city, would, which Jerusalem, would, would swell from some 200,000 people to 200 and maybe 50,000 people at the time. So this place was jamming. It was rocking. It was like a bizarre, huge marketplace inside this temple. So the Lord is seeing this. And then they have money changers. What's so significant about that? Well, in order for them to make a gift, they would have to use certain money. It couldn't have Caesar's picture on this thing at all because that, you, know, you only give your, your glory to the Lord, not to that. It had to be of a certain constitution, a certain coin. So they were allowed then to take the wrong coins, exchange them for the right coin in order to make their gift or to do what they needed to do in the temple. But here was the problem. Let's go back to the doves. Normally a dove might sell for maybe 15 cents, but the dove salesman would then turn that into something that would be $15. And one part of the research I did, I was finding out that some of the dove makers could make as much as in those days $200,000 just off the profits they were making. These people that were exchanging the money, they had the wrong place, but they also had the wrong price because what they then were doing was really fleecing the people because they knew they had a captive audience who really wanted to follow the law, and these people were messing it all up at that time. So here's Jesus. You can imagine. Just picture with me for a moment. The disciples are with him in Cana. They see Jesus as a party man. He's the one who took the water and the wine, and this was cool and made everybody happy. This is the Jesus that we got a chance to have great conversations all the way up to all the way up down to Capernaum. While we were there, we had some relaxation time. Jesus is chilled, maybe. I can only imagine. They finally make it into Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, this Jesus that they thought was someone that was pretty quiet, maybe a teacher type, very dignified, all of a sudden, he walks in here, and he sees all this stuff, and what does he do? I see five verbs that he did in that one event. Would you follow along now? Look what he does now. And you can circle them in your Bible. So he said, he found them in the temple, those that had the box and sheep and doves and money changers. Then it says, and he made a scourge of cords. So circle the word made. So that means he had to grab some leather cords that were available. Maybe those were the same cords that were tying up some of these animals. He made a scourge out of the cords. Then he drove them out of the temple. So circle the word drove or drive. So in other words, he is forcing them out. Then he says, catch this, drove them all out. Underline the word all. That means there was not one animal left. So when he got into the temple, they were all gone when he was there. And I don't read where that his brothers helped him. I don't read where his disciples helped him. I read that he did this all by himself. Now, 
I might be able to open up a cage and kick it over and let a dove fly out, but I don't know if I'm going to go after a lot of oxen, and the whole place is filled with oxen, and I'm going to start chasing them, especially when one of them decides to turn around and snort on me. I don't know about you, but he did all of that. So then he chased him out. Then it says here, with the sheep and the oxen. Then he poured out the coins, so you can circle that. And he took the boxes of coins or whatever uh, collection bucket they had there, and he poured them out. Now, do you think that the guys who were holding on to the animals, and do you think that the money changers that were by the money, do you think that they were merely twiddling their thumbs and just saying, wow, this is, look at this guy here. He's, he had too much caffeine. You don't think they did that. I'm sure there was a little bit of commotion. These guys say, wait, wait, no, 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 what do you do? Who are you? you?" And all this was going on. And this Jesus, who was so much what I just described earlier, is now coming in here and he's doing this. Now, you're probably thinking, is he out of control? The the liberals might make you think that Jesus was just kind of nuts at this time. No, you've got to know the story. And those that really know this will understand he was not going nuts. He, He wasn't this unrighteous, out of control rage. There was something else that was driving him. So you have to understand the deeper motive, and you'll see that in a moment. So he pours out the coins, and then he overturns the tables. Now, I don't know if they're like our beautiful little six, eight-foot plastic tables we have here. I can only imagine they're probably heavy tables made out of heavy wood. So he turns them over, and to those that that were selling doves, he said to them, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. So all I can tell you is that in some measure... He went ahead and he took authority over this and he did it in a masculine way. So those of you guys that are here and you're thinking that Christianity is made up mostly of women, it's a feminine thing, I want you to know that it is not effeminate. Jesus wasn't effeminate. He was a man's man. He was a man's man who was under control. And I believe that whatever energy, whatever whatever emotion he was displaying, there wasn't one second, one ounce of too much or too little. It was exactly spot on of what needed to be done and none of it violated his holiness and purity. Do you agree with that? Am I speaking too slowly? Maybe that's my problem. I've got to slow down here. There's so much here. I'm just so grateful we don't have a clock in the back. <clears throat> I know you're not, but this is so rich here and I wanted you to know what the problems he had. They had people selling, people doing the wrong stuff, people exchanging money, wrong price, wrong people. So what really caused Jesus to have this uh, display of anger? While it's not in this passage, and I, I wish I had hours to teach this, but if you went back to the Old Testament, you would find what this Passover was all about. Not only did they have to do the Passover, and they did it in a certain way, they did it in remembrance of the Lord, often similar to what we might do with our communion and our Christian style. But here's something else, and I put the verse down there from Deuteronomy. During that entire week... If you recall, one of the parts of Passover is that they couldn't have any leaven. None of the bread could have leaven in it. Now, for those of you that are new, most of the time in Scripture, not all the time, but most of the time in Scripture, leaven is representing sin. And the reason they use leaven and sin so close as a representation, it just takes a little bit of leaven, a little bit of ingredient that takes your bread and then causes it to kind of grow, kind of bloat up a little bit. And so what they're trying to say is a little bit of sin gets big. You know, little sin, you'll reap more than you sow. You'll reap later than you sow, all right? But you will reap what you sow. And so a little bit of sin goes a long way. So leaven in something, a little bit goes a long way. So what he was saying here was no leaven in all this bread stuff because I want to make sure it's as pure and as clean and as holy because leaven would be wrong. Now, that's only one explanation for leaven. Here's what I'm saying now. In the context of Passover, that meant 
that the women usually, I guess, I don't want to isolate only them, but usually the women would be the responsible ones for cleaning the house, making sure everything was right, that every item of Passover was, was properly prepared and that their hearts were right. Dads would take care of that part, that, that they were right. So that I, I, I could almost say that as much as Jerusalem was kind of a bizarre place and a celebration place, they were tr- the people of the land, the Jews, were really trying to do it right before God. These in the temple were just crazy. They're just, you know, you, you see them, charlatan types, money makers off a religious thing, um, kind of things. Going back to this. So now Jesus, in his mind, very well could be thinking this. Look at this. These Jews are trying to keep the law the best they can, following purity and righteousness. And yet here, in my own temple... I have these guys coming in here and they're botching it all up and it is not a clean, proper place. It is not an illustration of holiness and what's right. So that's probably what's going after the depth of his, of his emotions. In all of that, the fact is that it was the almighty dollar, almighty convenience, almighty man who was getting all the credit. And Jesus Christ, the Lord Jehovah, was getting none. And there was no bit of magnification of the Lord. Now, I want to come up for air and give you some practical things to think about. So I put down here three truths that I think we can learn about anger from from the Lord. So you might want to jot some of these down if you'd like. These will go quickly. First of all, there are times when it is right to be angry. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says that we should be angry at sin. It really says be angry and sin not. So essentially you could say be angry at sin. But at the same time, anger is an emotion. It can be wrong. It can be right. But it's how you use it, what makes it right or wrong. I'm thinking about anger in a person by the name of Wilberforce who saw how wrong slavery was and that anger is what motivated him to go on this uh, political crusade to stop slavery. I'm thinking of a, one of my favorite missionaries of all times, Hudson Taylor, a little known fact about Hudson Taylor and China Inland Mission. They were at the point of the spear because he was angry. It's hard to believe little wimpy Hudson Taylor would be angry. You know what he was angry about? the opium that was coming into China and the opium wars that were taking place, even with Britain. So he went on his own little personal political crusade to try to stop that, but anger drove him. Then if you want to make it more current, I'm thinking of a lady by the name of Bevla Hay who late one night was watching television with her husband a Sunday night after a service. And they were, she was watching how that America was slipping back from its Christian values. And she was wondering, how come you have all these women up there speaking and spouting off all this junk that's out there that is so not biblical? And her own husband looks at her and says, well, if you think it's so bad, why don't you do something about it? And Concerned Women for America was born out of her anger for unrighteousness and things that weren't right. So there are times that anger can be right. Now, I don't have time to give you a whole message on anger, but I do want you to know there is a limit there. All right, number two, just because something is accepted by society does not mean it's accepted by God. Boy, that is a sermon in itself because sometimes with society, we find that Christians will mirror society rather than reflect the glory of God. So I would like to really encourage you that we make sure that we evaluate our views of society, and I'm going to say it in a better way, if we would understand what is a secular worldview by understanding, watch this, what a biblical worldview is. You might dabble with a secular worldview and study on that, but let me tell you, the best way for you to fully understand a secular worldview is understand what a biblical worldview is, and when you do a biblical view of the world from Scripture, that will help you easily spot. I mean, it's just black and white. It's when it becomes gray, and Christianity sometimes wants to gray this stuff up that we have our problems. And that's why he's saying right here, just being accepted by society doesn't mean acceptable with the Lord. Now, why do I say that? I'm only wondering, it's, it's uh, the economics of stuff. 
these guys selling all this junk in the, in the temple and these people exchanging money, they would never do it if those Jews weren't going in there to take advantage of those guys. So there was money to be made off of this. So there was enough of the Jews that were kind of soft on society, but not hard on God, right? And so they allowed this to happen. And so I wonder if sometimes we feed our own problems because we feed our own problems. That's something very profound. Think about that, right? Number three, it's more important to be spiritually correct than politically correct. We can't always be diplomatic about the truth. Now, when you hear that, that must mean for some of you that have a personality style that you think it's always right to in your face, turn or burn, try or fry, forsake or bake. I don't think we have to do that. In fact, Scripture says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. Well, I'm going someplace with this. There was an individual within the last maybe three months who years ago was a well-known television maybe star at least to a certain age but at least a television personality and i'm sure being unsaved he had all that that went with him but there was a time in his life where he came to faith alone in jesus christ and his whole life began to change and he decided that he just can't be a a sunday morning or a closet christian he had to quote come out of the closet for christ now he didn't come out blazing and shooting everybody he did, spiritually speaking he came out saying i got to take my stand for the lord and by the way listen we don't always have to go after the lost world. If we just live for the Lord like this, we'll have enough people around us that we'll be affecting for the Lord just doing that. It doesn't mean you can't speak. doesn't mean don't go. But it means sometimes we think, well, if I go, then I'm a witness. No, you can be a witness right here. So he just lived his life. And then he realized that maybe people needed to learn how to evangelize. So he'd start ta- te- teaching that. Then he wanted to put out some good movies, and he became an actor in one of those movies. Do you know who I'm talking about, everybody? Kirk Cameron. So let's go back a little bit further. A couple of weeks ago, he's just on a talk show to promote a a basic secular movie he's just done called Monument. It's a little bit on the history of our country and how the pilgrims got here from a probably a more accurate position. And he's just there on a talk show, driving back and forth. That's all he wanted to do is talk about his movie. This guy wanted to hammer him about his Christian belief. And what do they go after for Christians when you get on a public public station? Number one, they're going to get on abortion. And the next thing they're going to get on is civil unions or uh, gay marriages and all of that stuff. If you know what I'm saying, would you at least say, "Uh uh-huh? Okay. So all he did was to give his response to that. Now, here was his response. He did not do it angrily. He did not put it in your face. He didn't condemn them. He just simply said this. I'm quoting now. He said, gay marriage is unnatural. Well, that's what Romans says. And then he said, it is ultimately detrimental to so many foundations of our civilization. He did not say of our Christian civilization. He just said of our civilization. He dropped that bomb in a bucket full of bombs. And once that hit, his own former people who were on television with him, his co-actors and actresses, went on a rampage to come against him. What did he do? Number three, it's more important to be spiritually correct than politically correct. We can't always be diplomatic about the truth. And so there's going to be times that you might not get the raise on your job. You kids might not make it in the club or team that you want. And I'm very sorry for that because I know how much you look forward to that. And it doesn't mean that you have to be in your face with your, your Christianity, but at the same time, you've just got to speak truth. Do it with a smile. Do it gently. Dip your arrow in honey, but you still have to speak it. Jesus had to take a tough stand. It was his temple. It was a place of praise. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of 
worship. It was a place that people could then rally to and glorify God at specific times. So what did this do? I want to kind of bring this uh, to a close here in a couple minutes, but if you'll notice on the back side of your handout, I wrote a sentence there. I put down, our understanding of God's lessons for us in this passage hinges upon one question, and I only want to give you one question. Where is the temple of God today? Now, I could talk to you about the temple that's in Jerusalem now. I've been to it three times. Been to the outside, the Wailing Wall, or the outside of the area of the temple. Been to the Dome of the Rock. I've been to a place that's kind of hidden down a dark street where they're actually making the implements for the new temple that will be constructed in the future. So even the Jews know that the temple will be rebuilt. They just don't understand, according to Scripture, who's going to be in it and why it's going to be there and all of that. But the simple point is that this is not what we're talking about, that temple. What I believe now, we're going to move away from this temple of a building that keeps getting destroyed that will be rebuilt but not to the same level. He's really talking about, listen now, two temples. In a moment, he's going to talk about his own body being the temple, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I want to now talk about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is because if he refers to his body as the temple then I could refer to my body as being a temple. The difference now being is that my temple is still flawed and has problems. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.